Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15. I was going to continue the this, this series this morning on uh, authority and faith and character. And I will next week. We'll pick it back up with the, the, uh, the, the, the title of the message is Shields Up. And we will, we will do that. But I could not get away from this this morning that I felt like this is what the Lord wanted me to share pre-Thanksgiving Colossians 3.15 from the New American Standard says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. King James Version says, Be ye thankful. And that is a better, actually a more accurate rendering of the Greek because the you in there is we do it understood. With them, with Greek, it's explicit. And be ye thankful. Gene, uh, Jake was told me a, a story Years and years ago, that I thought was hysterical, but and um, her her uh, great grandson, it, he was young. I don't know. He's like three, four, five, six, something like that. Uh, you know, and was opening his presents on Christmas and was as excited as he could possibly be about it. And at one point, he just stopped and said, "I deserve this." <laughs> All right, you know. I'm sure that's he didn't mean to convey what that conveyed. But there's a lot of people out there today in our culture that are not thankful. And they think that every good thing they deserve. And I'm telling you, if you talk about an attitude that will get on you if you aren't careful. That's one of them. You know, since the fall of humanity, humanity in general desires to be self-determining and self-governing. We don't want to do what we're told. Particularly in this in our culture particularly, just tell somebody you must do something and watch the hair on the back of their neck stand up. And they start to, you know, growl. We don't like to be given orders. We don't want to be told we must do anything. And think about it. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, this was the when the, he said, you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was the only restriction they had. The only one. And they were deceived into believing that there was a better way than the way God gave them. And humanity has traded in that fall and since the God of creation for the gods, small g gods, of our own preference. Even self-proclaimed atheists worship something, whether it's themselves, their intellect, science, and boy, science has become a very interesting term lately, the creation itself, and we have watched as in the last five years in particular, our culture has speedily become pre-Christian. Now, you'll see um, authors who will write that we live in post-Christian America. I say nay. We live in pre-Christian. 
Christian America. An America that's like the world before Christianity conquered it and drove out the small g gods. In the Roman Empire, as Christianity was spreading, whole pagan temples went into complete disuse and were torn down. Today, it almost is happening the other way. We are rapidly, rapidly returning to the paganism that Christianity displaced. And when the, the Nachash, the serpent, not a snake, but a glorious angelic being said to Eve, you'll be as God, as Elohim, not as Yahweh, as Elohim. You'll be one of the cool kids. And what does and what took over? First John chapter two, verse 16. For all that is in the world, because in verse 15, I should have put verse 15 in there. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And that's something when we talk about shields up, we've got to be cognizant of, of the fact that when we were growing up, the world wasn't much. You know, I'll, I'll be 68 in about a month, a little over a month. The world in which I grew up, while not being necessarily holy, was definitely nowhere near as inimical to the things of God as the world in which we live today. And we cannot walk in this day and age the way we walked in 1955. Well, and in 1955, I was not walking. I was around, but I was, I did, uh, maybe toward the end of the year. Okay. I was, I, I was getting in a, a few steps. All right. We'll get to that next week. The fact is, Paul, I mean, uh, John goes on to say, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Eve looked at that fruit, whatever it was, and saw it was uh, a, a, a delight to the eyes, desirable for food, and desirable, good for food, and desirable to make one wise. When the flesh erupts, when the flesh comes out, anybody ever had a breakdown, hallelujah, flesh out? How many of you have ever had a situation where the old man was up out of the grave so fast that you just like, wow, where'd he come from? The grave. And whenever that happens, whenever the flesh begins to control, I promise you, pride is lurking or guiding the whole, at, at the, at, you know, in the driver's seat of the whole thing. Because pride is at the root of all selfishness. Period over out. The lusts mentioned here, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Those are just the combustible material. The real spark is pride. Pride is the spark that will set the lust of the, uh, lust of the flesh on fire, the lust of the eyes on fire, the boastful pride of life. When I worked for uh, the fire department, yes, I worked for the fire department too and UPS and there are a lot of other jobs in there. My daughter told me the other day, she was listening to something I was preaching, I guess, and she said, you used to work for McDonald's? I said, yes. She said, wow, you learn something every day, <laughs> you know. So, uh, and I also work for another fast food place, but that's, you know, and, uh, you know, bringing people into healthful, a healthful walk, right? And, 
you know, when, uh, when I was working with the fire department, they, they used to tell us that a single cup of gasoline that has vaporized in an enclosed place. How many of you know that gasoline has to vaporize before it'll burn? Okay. And so whenever it vaporizes it, you know, the fumes, the vapors of it, it that's what's flammable. And a single cup of just one cup of gasoline that has vaporized and filled an enclosed area like a garage or a basement or something like that. If it comes in contact with the flame, it will instantly burn and will have the explosive power of a stick of dynamite. That is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, of the boastful pride of life, waiting for a match, the match of pride and self-interest to touch it. Pastor, I was hoping for a really uplifting message. Well, hang on. Well, we got to get, you know, uh, let me, the, the pride helps me to rationalize. My, my high school counselor told me uh, he was a believer. He was, a, you know, in fact, he was the organist at his church. And, and uh, Mr. Howell used to say, you know, uh, don't rash. In fact, he even wrote in my yearbook, my senior yearbook, when he, he said, avoid rationalizing how well he knew me. You know what rationalizing is? It's figuring out a way that it's okay to do something that you know you really shouldn't do. You rationalize it. You think it through. You come up. You know, what was it? What is an excuse? It's the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. All right. And so, you know, I can, I can justify doing this. I can justify myself in doing that. The problem is we are not ultimately in control. We may think we are. And that's pride in itself. But we have someone who created us. We have someone who created all. In fact, Psalm 100, beginning with verse 1. Shout joyfully to Yahweh all the earth. Serve the Lord. Serve Yahweh with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that Yahweh himself is what? God. It is he who has made us. And not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We are not self-invented. We are not an accident of nature. We are not, uh, you know, the product of uh, some evolutionary process that got started by God only knows what or who, you know, in uh, eons gone by. Every good thing is Jesus, is Yahweh's doing, and Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh. What did Paul say there at Athens when he said, you know, that, you know, that, you know, every, God did not leave himself without a witness. And he, and he alone, in fact, Acts chapter 17, verse 28, the very first part of it from the King James, I love the way this is put, for in him we live and move and have our being. We used to sing that. In him we live and move and have our being. He and he alone holds us and our entire universe together. And if he is the creator, then we are directly responsible to him. Romans chapter 1, which we will be dealing with the next couple of weeks as we see the paganist, the paganist, paganistic or pagan behavior that is erupting in our nation just with unbelievable ferocity and speed. It says in Romans 1 
For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. Paul is writing in a way that we should pay it to which we should pay attention. Paul is a Hebrew, but he writes like a Westerner. He's educated when he writes, he thinks Western. He doesn't think Hebrew. He think he's capable of thinking Hebrew, but when he writes, he writes as a Western. He writes cause to effect. He likes to put things in in more of a chronological order like Luke. And so when we see what he's writing here, he's laying a foundation. For even though they knew God, they didn't honor him as God nor or give thanks, but they became futile or futile in their speculations, in their reasonings, in their rationalizing. That's what that word means. And their foolish heart was what? Darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. The word for fool is the word moros. And in the accusative, it's moron. And exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image in the form of corruptible man. Worshipping, you know, there's your humanist. Worship, you know, worshiping ourselves, worshiping our own accomplishments, worshiping our own technology, worshiping, you know, whatever. All right. And, bir- you know, and of the bird and of birds and forfeited animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over. A lack of thankfulness will mean I will exchange God for something else. I will worship something. I don't know where Bob Dylan is now in terms of his faith, but I remember he, when he encountered Christianity and professed a salvation experience, he, made, he wrote a song, You're Going to Serve Somebody. How many of you remember that? And with his inimitable style, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. Well, you know what? And if he is a believer, which I hope so, you know, he's, he, he's, he would be a completed Jew. Right. And so it it goes on to say that. So if you're not thankful, what happens? You don't see things like you're not seeing things right. And so what do you do? You start drifting further and further and further away from the truth, just like we have seen around us. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust uh, of their hearts to impurity. That word translated impurity is the word that literally means uncleanness. How many of you think we see some of that today? And so that their bodies would be corrupted. Their bodies would be dishonored among them. I didn't give this to Susan, but the next verse says, For they exchanged the troop of God for the lie. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading 
passions. For their women exchange the natural function of that which is un, for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which were not proper. Look where unthankfulness will take us. One of the things I was thinking about, you know, we were band practice the other night. And, you know, everybody probably looked over and saw me furiously writing, and I'll say this again, no doubt. But what the Lord showed me is when you read Romans uh, 1, 25, 26, and 27, direct, direct address to homosexuality. Those things, to many people, seem, even, you know, Christians, seem harsh. But they're not. They're not harsh. They're jarring. Why are they jarring? Because our culture has so sunk down into the pagan depravity of the enemy and darkness that those that that the words of righteousness now seem harsh they seem jarring they seem almost unreasonable that tells me that the world's thinking has gotten deeper into us than we would care to admit they didn't honor god they didn't give thanks Progr uh, professing to be wise they became fools. We'll come back to some of that stuff next week. I, I want to get on. I don't want to spend a lot of time there. Let me say this again. This is not progress. This is regression. Selfish, self-centered, and ungrateful people do not know more. They know less. And that includes Christians. That's not just unbelievers. The list of perversions in our culture is rapidly rising. And it is the product of un, in, ingratitude and denying the God of heaven. Saying, I don't want to walk that way. The path, it is the path of destruction. It is the path to heartache and loss. It ends in tears just like it did in the garden. Selfish people, particularly ungrateful people, are some of the most unhappy, even miserable people in the world. Because nothing ever is enough. Oh, that man lives inside of me. Mm. And if you truly enjoy complaining, I'm going to stop right there. This is true. Even This can be true even in the midst of economic or material prosperity. Think about this. Adam and Eve have everything. They lack nothing. Everything was provided. Adam, whatever it is, besides naming the animals Adam had to do, he didn't even break a sweat. Whoa! But it still wasn't enough. And they quickly discovered that self, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life, that self was a black hole. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 20. Sheol, that's the netherworld. Today we would use the word hell or 
in the New Testament, a lot of times it's translated Hades because that's the word that the Greeks would have used. And Abaddon. Abaddon is the destroyer. Are never satisfied. Nor are the eyes of man ever satisfied. More than once I have said in you know, my life, I, if I just had thus and so, I would be happy. And Kathy would ask, can I have that in writing? How I many of you know what I'm talking about? Habakkuk 2, verses 4 and 5 from the NIV say this. So he is puffed up, the proud one. The proud one, his, his desires are not upright. His soul is not right within him. But the righteous will live by his faith. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave. For those of you who have not read the scripture and have heard that greedy is the grave, this, this is from where it's derived. And like death is never satisfied, he gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. That doesn't just describe our government. It describes the devil. Never at rest. Always wanting something else. Something more. I love that greedy is the grave. That is a miserable place to be. To be consumed with covetousness. And the entitlement attitude. Has anybody seen any of that? The entitlement attitude we see today is self-centeredness bearing fruit. It started back in the 60s. And today, we, where we sowed the wind, and now we're reaping the whirlwind. And increasing frustration, increasing disappointment, increasing lawlessness, driven to satisfy this insatiable desire. Now, how do I escape this, Pastor? Well, I'm glad you met. Not escape this pastor, but escape this comma pastor. <laughs> How do I escape this pastor? <laughs> How do I escape this comma pastor? <laughs> Question mark. Oh, Lord. That's like me trying to dictate with Siri. I've discovered sometimes Siri's pretty sharp and then other times dumb. True thankful begins by acknowledging my complete dependence upon God. I am not self-sufficient. I depend upon Him for my very next breath. A few weeks ago, uh, I'm telling you, your world can change just like that. And a few weeks ago, you may recall, I was not here because I awoke about 2 o'clock in the morning with all of the symptoms of a kidney stone. You should hear me praise in pain. <laughs> Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus! By His stripes! And I won't get into the more nitty-gritty parts of it. You know, an hour before that, I was asleep and I was in, I was in fine shape. But boy, when that got on me, it's like the whole world changed. It's amazing. Yeah, have you, how many of you have ever had pain or you've been sick and suddenly realized that some of the things that were important to you just yesterday aren't, it don't seem to be as big a deal now. And God knows that about humanity and we're watching him deal with our nation and in in the whole world for that matter in no uncertain terms. 
I love these people that prognosticate the future. But I remember what Yogi Berra said. He said, the future is very, he goes, predictions are very, very difficult, especially about the future. <laughs> I'm not the center of the universe. True thankfulness begins when I get my eyes off of me. And believe me, that is work. I recognize that I am not the source of whatever success or whatever blessing I have. It was given me by God. There are things well beyond my control which I cannot manipulate. I cannot predict. Some call it luck. But I submit to you that there is absolutely no evidence that luck exists. We think it exists because certain things happen and we don't necessarily see the unseen hand of God or of the enemy within it. But I promise you that the universe is way too precise and its existence and operation way too ordered for anything to be left to pure chance. If you look at the odds and the statistics on the origin of life itself, it takes more faith to believe in luck than it does to believe in God. The value of getting me off of the throne and allowing Jesus to sit there is scarcely estimable. I mean, only then when I say, Jesus, you know, how many of you know the Lord will let you sit on the throne of your life if you absolutely insist? And I can tell you that there have been times that I have been there standing at the right hand of Jesus as he sits on the throne of my life. When some of them would occur, I said, okay, up, I'm going to take care of this. Now, we wouldn't say it that way because that makes it really garish and that makes it really stark and in your face. But that is exactly what happens. We make the decision, I've got this. But when I let Jesus sit on the throne of my life, only then do I begin to grapple with the things, with things as they truly are. Because Jesus said, your word is truth. Remember John 17, 17? Sanctify them, set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. His word is to determine our worldview. His word is to determine our values. His word is to determine our behaviors. His word is to determine our priorities. And it, doing, having confidence in that word leads to something which is absolutely indispensable in the human experience. And that is hope. People say, well, you know, I'm, I don't want to be in hope. I want to be in faith. If you don't have hope, there is nothing for, for, for your faith to give substance to. Faith is the substance of the things hoped for. Hope is the confidence that God has everything under control. Hope is the confidence that whatever my situation, God knows, God sees, and God is not silent. Neither is he idle. The creator, and, and I'm talking about real hope, not something that's promised by politicians or car salesmen. Actually, in my notes here, politicians are other salesmen. Only the creator can offer a future worth having and which will satisfy. Even in the midst of trouble, tribulation, and struggle, 
True thankfulness. Being truly grateful. You know, um, we used to sing that, you know, Chris was talking about this morning. What song was it that you got up and you were, uh, oh, Lord's in the power just now. She was saying that that the, 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 the chorus from, you know, the song, you know, oh, Lord's in the power just now. You know, baptize ever. How many of you remember that song? Some of you are looking at me like, do what? You know, but there was another song, Count Your Blessings. You know, count them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. You know, when we get into ingratitude, it's not, thank you, Lord, for all you've done for me. It's what have you done for me lately? How many of you think that's probably an attitude that maybe comes up a little short in regard to faith? Now, I stand before you as a man who has done those things. And still wrestles with the old man who things are not moving anywhere near fast enough for his taste. Amen. One of the, the my parents were children of the depression. And... They grew up with very, very little. But they did grow up. My father, you know, was in the Navy for uh, World War II. And then uh, was, thought he'd make a little extra money and joined the 45th Infantry Division, which is the Oklahoma National Guard. And surprise, 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 he got to go to Korea. And believe me, Korea wasn't near as much fun as a grunt ground pounder as it would have been out there off the coast in a ship. But they, you know, when they're, you know, they tried, they had been married nearly 10 years by the time I came along. They were about to give up trying to have a child. Can you imagine that they've been trying for so long and were about to give up and then they got me? <laughs> and they just made the decision that baby boy wasn't going to grow up the way they did. And they gave me way, way, way too much. And it instilled an attitude of entitlement in me that, to be honest with you, I still have to seize by the throat on, on occasion. I only really began to get a glimpse of how, and I'm not criticizing my parents. You know, they did the very best that they knew how, and they were trying to bless me. They were trying to see to it that I had, you know, I could go through a litany of things that you would go, I can't believe they did that for you. And I don't either now. And, but when I joined the army, and I got out there in basic and then I went to AIT. I realized suddenly that if I didn't get with the program, nobody was going to do it for me. There was nobody writing in to do this, nobody writing in to do that. And that's when finally I reached down, caught fire, reached down and started making, you know, putting forth some effort to make something of my life. One of the things that people, you know, when I would talk when in high school, I'd thought about joining the military, but I, I started college immediately after high school uh, rather than go off to the military. I mean, I've been thinking about going to the Army or the Air Force or Navy or something, you know, while in school. And I asked several of my teachers, one of which my algebra teacher uh, said to me, he said, well, do you want somebody telling you what to do all the time? 
Well, it's not a question whether I want it. Do I need it? And, you know, but every every person who had served wound up saying the same thing to me. It will be what you make it. You will get out of it what you put into it. Now, to be honest, at the age of 17, 18, I really wasn't sure what that meant. And. And yet I was legal to vote. <laughs> uh, moving on. Uh, and when I it was in AIT, when I, you know, advanced individual training, when I suddenly well, I can remember I, I, I go back. I've quoted this before. My great uncle Buddy, who was my grand my maternal grandmother's brother, was the closest thing really to a granddad I ever had. My other grandfathers, my actual grandfathers, maternal and paternal, were much, much, much older. Plus, with my paternal grandfather, they had nine kids. And their nine kids each had nine kids, <laughs> with the exception of my dad, you know, mom who had two, you know. And my dad was the baby. He was the youngest. He was actually almost raised by my oldest aunt. And so by the time we came along, my granddad already had like 30, you know, grandkids. And who are these, you know? I don't think he ever, I don't, maybe he knew my name. I, I don't know, you know. And my maternal grandfather was much older and, to be honest, uh, pretty cantankerous. And so, you know, they weren't really, and they both lived at a distance, but my Uncle Buddy lived just, you know, a mile away from us. And I mean, he would come over and pick us up and take us to me and my sister to school. You know, I mean, you know, because we didn't have bus. We lived a little over a mile from school. There was the only bus service in Tulsa back then was for kids who lived way out in the boonies, you know. And so he came over to pick us up every morning and take us to school, you know, and he'd be there to pick us up and take us home. And everything. He was just, you know, he, and he was very, very, you know, he was I was his pal. And, you know, because he, he only had one one child and she had died of leukemia when she was relatively young. And so I was, you know, my sister and I were pretty much it in the way of grandkids. And so they spoiled us. We'd go over to their house on New Year's Day and uh, eat and drink pop and watch bowl, uh, the, the, the Rose Parade, the Orange Parade, and all that. And then we watch all the bowl games all the way up to the Orange Bowl, which played, you know, was the last one on NBC of an evening. And oftentimes OU was in it. And so we were, you know, et cetera. Many times it was Nebraska versus Alabama, but I do it like that. And uh, he always saw to it. This is when I was like 11 or 12. He always saw to it that that refrigerator was full of Mountain Dew. One time I drank 14 or 15 Mountain Dews in a day. I noticed toward the end of the day that my hands were shaking. I had no idea what was going on. Can you imagine how fast I would talk with two and a half cartons of Mountain Dew in me? We're talking about those green 10 or 12 ounce bottles. Anyway, okay, I need another one. <laughs> and I'll never forget. He was worried about me. I didn't know it. He was worried about me. He was real worried about me. He, he, never, he never had a crossword for me or anything. I mean, he, he would, you know, when I would ask him stuff, he would tell me. But, but when I came back from basic, before I went to AIT up in Massachusetts, 
he didn't know I was in earshot. And he said to my mom, he said, we sent off a boy and we got back a man. That's how much it had changed me. And believe me, that sense of entitlement somehow, you know, got really stomped into the ground because my my drill instructors had no mercy when it came to that. Now, I wish that sense of entitlement would stay stomped in the ground. But how many of you know what I'm talking about, that you still have to keep your eyes open because, the, you know, the old man will come back. To be genu- genuinely and deeply thankful people are content. That's what Paul said. It doesn't mean they don't have any ambition for greater things. And it doesn't mean that they don't have any desire. That, and content is not the same, you know, it, it, where we have just completely lost all motivation. You know, uh, it, it, that isn't it. But it means that a, a, a truly grateful person is able to enjoy what they do have. What God has given them. And this peace truly defeats the greed which will eat away our soul. Thankful people know that God is their source and is their supplier and are much less prone to worry about the future because they know the one who is their future. By the way, the word I was looking for a minute ago was a person who is content is not necessarily complacent. The future is bright when we follow him. There is true hope. You know what? I am anxious for the things that are coming, not because people are going to be hurt. I don't rejoice when anyone gets squeezed, anyone loses their job, anyone finds themselves in a world of hurt. But I'll tell you this, I'm ready for God to move. And I'm ready for people who are on the expre- in the express lane, the HOV lane to hell. We don't have HOV lanes here in Kansas City. But yet, but they're on the HOV lane, the Hov lane to hell. And whatever it takes to get them off of that expressway and into the kingdom, praise God, I'm for it. And the church and this nation will either drop to its knees or God will know how to drive us there. The Lord's already shown me multiple times that there will be times that it will be scary, but that I will not need to be worried and that those who know him will not need to be worried because he has his hand right over us. You know, being content like that allows me to be generous and big hearted because I'm not worried that I'm going to give it away and then I'm going to have to do without. Having a willingness to share, knowing that Whatever this is with which I'm about to part, whatever I'm giving away, I won't do without it for long if I need it. Now, there have been a few things I've given away that I didn't need. Psalm 50, verse 23. He who sacrifices thank thank offerings honors me. I remember Lyndall Cooley telling the story about how both when his sons were younger were living and living at home. Everybody in the family but him had the flu. 
His wife had the flu. His boys had the flu. And they were in Oklahoma parlance as sick as a dog. And he was the only one to be a caretaker. And he said, here I was. He said, getting up, dragging up. There's nothing. No, you know, his wife's too sick to do anything. The boys are too sick to help. And so he's getting something, you know, a little something for him to eat and everything. And life is just pretty grim right now around that house. And he said, I remember, he said, I was even wearing a mask before masks were cool <laughs> and mandated. And he said, I'm walking down the hallway with a, you know, tray full of like this going, oh, Lord, I bless you. Hallelujah. I glorify you. He said, that's when you know somebody is really a worshiper is when everything in can be is going wrong and you still bless the Lord and you're still thankful. It will be an effort. He who sacrifices thank offerings. Everybody say sacrifice. You know, um, you, the, over in Hebrews, it talks about the sacrifice of praise. Sometimes praise is easy. I just won the lottery. I bless you, oh Lord. I have a great uncle I didn't know who died and left me a million dollars. Hallelujah. The washing machine just broke. Praise the Lord. My freezer is hot. Praise the Lord. I've lost $700 worth of beef. Praise the Lord. Yeah. I got it weird. He who sacrifices thank offerings to me. He prepared. Listen to this. And he honors me and he prepares the way so that I may show him the salvation of God. Don't put that off in the airy fairies pie in the sky in the sweet by and by. Put that in the here and now. That there is salvation for those. How many of you need salvation when you go to the grocery store? You need salvation when you pay your utility bills. It isn't as bad here as it is in some places. True thankfulness is as tough. I'm talking about real, honest to goodness thankfulness is as tough as a boot. It perseveres and it overcomes. Tomorrow, my lovely wife of 46 years is going to, she is the room mother for Liam's TK class. And so she pitched, I think you approached the teacher about doing something for Thanksgiving. They weren't going to do anything for Thanksgiving. By the way, it's not Turkey Day. It's Thanksgiving Day. Notice how the world, you know, happy holidays, Merry Christmas. Um, she's doing a, 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 she has put together a presentation complete with little crafts and everything on the first Thanksgiving. And I mean, she has been working. She's got little bags of stuff to get all the kids and everything. And I mean, this is, you know, it's really pretty cool. And I know, and, and she's been very careful because believe it or not, there's a lot of things you can't say anymore in a public school. 
at least in the Blue Springs School District. All right. And the first Thanksgiving story, the, the story of the first Thanksgiving Day, not Turkey Day, Thanksgiving Day, was as the first European Americans, if you read the story, they had suffered mightily. There had been tragedy. There had been hardship. And yet they're gathering to thank the God of heaven. They were Christians. They were believers. And to, thank, to be thankful. They knew the scriptures. And if our musicians would come. They knew the scriptures. They knew the struggles of the saints. They didn't think that just because everything wasn't going super slick and super smooth and the way, you know, and that everything they touched turned to gold, just because that wasn't happening, that some strange thing was befalling them. Remember what Peter said about that? This fiery ordeal that comes upon you. Think not that some strange thing is happening to you. They persevered. The first Americans, the first Thanksgiving, they persevered and were blessed. And God's blessing did come. Everybody say amen. amen. Conversely, in gratitude, functions, thanksgiving, what does it say there? Psalm 15 and 23. He who sacrifices thank offerings honors me and he prepares the way so that I may show him the salvation of God. But if I am complaining, if I am ungrateful, if I am full of grousing and whining and all that, I am not opening the way for God to move. I have become an impediment to God's moving because that isn't faith. I've tried complaining in faith. I'm not doing, my batting average there is not very good. I even, many, many years ago, had the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, Kevin, stop whining. Boy, that'll jerk you up straight. In fact, I think that may have been one of the only two times where the Lord's called me by my parentally given name. David knew that praising God was much more effective. Even, you know, the word complaint shows up in the Psalms. And a lot of the Psalms are complaints, but God, but David always finished with praise, saying, I don't know how you're going to get me out of this, but my confidence is in you. Lastly, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Paul says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of what? Thanksgiving. What I did in the army was I was in electronics warfare. I was in communication development and things of that nature. And we were in West Berlin, 110 miles deep in Soviet occupied East Germany. And so, and we were on the highest, our station was on the highest mound in town. Teufelsberg, Devil's Mountain, which is where they bulldozed all the rubble, which was considerable, from Berlin after World War II. And they let it settle, and they built, built this collection station on top of it. And we used to monitor communications, not ours, theirs. 
And one of the things that might happen is that I was in communication development. In other words, I wasn't just in collection. I was there working with a department with, and with the R&D guys, research and development guys, that whenever they ran across, the collectors ran across something technical that they didn't understand or that was out, out, of, the, uh, out of the ordinary, they would come in to our section and say, hey, we've got something, we don't know what it is. You may want to take a look at it. And we'd say, okay, and the first thing we would ask them is the frequency. And the second thing we would ask them was the azimuth. In other words, which direction? From which direction was the signal coming? And then we would begin our analysis by rolling it up on our ANTNH, I mean our uh, uh, Amphor 86s and do, on our, 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 our receivers. We might even crank a dish around and point straight at it. We'd hook it up and we'd, look, we'd hook it up to a real-time analyzer and do all this stuff trying to figure out what it is we were seeing. The first thing, but we couldn't do a thing without knowing what, what the frequency, what, what's the frequency for this? And we can look it up. Colossians 4.2 says, keeping alert with an attitude of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving puts us on the correct frequency. It gets our dish, our collector, so to speak. All that dish is is a reflector. The antenna is the little thing on the end there. The gets it pointed at God. It helps me to hear what God is saying and not what my flesh is saying. Not what people are saying. Not what the propaganda machine out here is saying. To catch the guidance that the world cannot perceive nor understand. They can neither perceive it nor understand it. Remember when Jesus was saying, I have both, you know, was talking to them and, an, and, and a voice from heaven said, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And Jesus said, this voice didn't come for my sake, it came for yours. And some people were saying, an angel has spoken to him. Other people were saying, it thundered. The three kinds of people, those who are making it happen, those who are watching it happen, and those who are saying, what happened? fact according to John 16 13 if we're tuned in he'll even give us glimpses of the future he'll show us what to do can you say amen true thankfulness brings peace true thankfulness will bring health because you know, let me tell you something being eaten up with anger and frustration and all of that it'll, it'll tear your health up it brings wholeness it brings a sensitivity of heart it allows the life of God himself to function fully within me. Be ye thankful. That's a command, by the way. Because it is the path of blessing. It is the path of peace. And most importantly, it is pleasing our Father. Amen. Those of you watching by web, as we come up on the most Christian holiday Christmas has been debossed, debased and deboshed so many ways. I'm not saying we shouldn't celebrate it. We do. But Thanksgiving is not about gift giving, Thanksgiving. In fact, it's the greatest travel time historically of the year as families get together, travel, often traveling great distances to be together. And as we go four days from now, 
I don't know when you're watching this, but four days from now will be Thanksgiving 2022. Let's have thankful hearts. Let's be thankful for the people God has put in our lives. Let us be thankful for the wonderful blessings that are around us and not get our eyes off of God onto the, to the challenges, onto the problems, onto the assaults of the enemy who has come to wear down the saints. That's what he, that's what he does. Because as we keep our eyes on him, there is a joy that rises up inside of us. And as we see the things that God has done for us, that hope and that confidence grows in us that whatever we face in the future, God will pull us through that just like he did every single solitary time before. If you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, if you have not given your heart to, Chris, uh, to Jesus Christ, then you need to do that right now. You just need to pray to the Father and say, Father, I believe that Jesus of Nazareth is your son and I believe that you've raised him from the dead. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. This is not a formula. This is a prayer directly from your heart to the God of the universe who will receive you and you will be, as Jesus said in John chapter 3, born again to a living hope. Your life will change. And you'll be on a great journey. It won't be trouble free because we still live in the world. But you'll have help that only those who belong to him will have. Christian, where are you? How is your attitude? Have you done your checkup from the neck up? Could you be more thankful? Could you be in? This is, I'm telling you, we're coming into greatly, that there is a dramatic, just within the next few months, there's going to be a dramatic increase in stress. And this is not the time to just be casual about your faith. Get in. Build your house on the rock. Amen and amen. We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center, or at our website, iccfamily, all one word, dot O-R-G, iccfamily.org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.